0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Changemakers LA podcast presented by LISC LA. The Changemakers LA podcast is a tribute to the people and the policies that make LA neighborhoods good places to live, work, and play. This is Shona Sen, Program Officer at the Local Initiative Support Corporation Los Angeles office. Today's episode will cover the importance of building capacity for workforce and business development organizations to improve service delivery and economic mobility for their communities. Joining us today we have three awesome guests. Uh, We have Jeffrey Wallace. Jeffrey TD Wallace, a native of Richmond, California, is a next generation social entrepreneur uniquely equipped to fulfill the dual roles of visionary and architect to find a sustainable solution to almost any social issue. He is president and CEO of Leaders Up, a nonprofit that bridges the gap between the untapped potential of young people and the business challenge of finding and keeping the best talent. With Wallace, Leaders Up has established best practices by facilitating employer-led solutions that are demand-driven and human-centered to tackle high youth unemployment in Chicago, Los Angeles, and the San Francisco Bay Area. He gets in front of the issues that fuel educational and economic inequities and unites people around shared goals to achieve disruptive and transformative change. Thanks for joining us, Jeffrey. Also here with us is Zahira Mann. As Slate sees President and CEO, Zahira Mann leads the Backbone team and guides partnership activities of the South LA Promise Zone through visionary and adaptive leadership. Zahira is an accomplished nonprofit professional who has led several successful initiatives to advance greater opportunities for Los Angeles residents. Prior to joining Slate Z, Zahira split her time between philanthropy and law. Most recently, Zahira was a senior program officer at the Ralph M. Parsons Foundation, where she oversaw a diverse portfolio of grants that supported vulnerable children and families and led a strategic initiative focused on child welfare and well-being. Before entering philanthropy, Zahira worked as a public interest attorney, representing and advising for-profit and nonprofit entities, coalitions, and government agencies on large-scale systemic issues that impacted families, youth, and businesses. Thank you for being here, Zahira. Finally, we have DeAndrea Lodier-Ross. DeAndrea Lodier-Ross joined the Los Angeles Black Workers Center, LABWC, in 2016 as the project coordinator. They co-created and launched the Filing the Apprenticeship Readiness Bootcamp in 2018, a multi-week apprenticeship readiness training that prepares Black workers to join unionized construction trades. DeAndrea is now the Director of Leadership Development with the LABWC. They lead the Healing Justice Programming and the Ready to Work Program, a social justice career readiness program that connects Black workers to high road careers and builds Black community and labor leadership within the construction and public sector. DeAndrea addresses anti-Black and anti-worker issues by teaching Black workers popular education methods to navigate highly discriminatory hiring practices and workplace standards. They organize from a collective community care lens and utilize liberatory pedagogy to create programming that centers the whole worker. Thank you all so much for being here. Uh, on what I'm sure is a very hectic time for you all. I appreciate you sharing your time and insights with us today. Uh, So I'll just go over quickly what uh, what we'll be covering today, and then we'll jump into questions. So workforce development is in a transformative time. The COVID-19 pandemic is a -a once-in-a-lifetime health and economic disaster that has permanently changed how people learn, work, live, and access resources. Many of our societal functions require the mechanics of industries and the power of the people to operate. In communities like South LA, COVID-19 has disproportionately impacted job opportunities and how Angelino's experience work. Many industries as we know them are forever changed. More than ever, there is a need to develop innovative approaches to ensure living wages, benefits, and workforce development resources that prepare all workers to thrive. Workplace development organizations are in a position to heed this unprecedented wake-up call to be agile and relevant to the workers' and industry needs during and after the COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic has brought long-standing inequities to the forefront, and workers are demanding higher pay, FMLA, and health insurance in industries that have traditionally kept wages and benefits low. So let's talk about what you all are doing to support the workers' access to and preparation for quality jobs and how that impacts industry stability during and post the COVID-19 pandemic. So Jeffrey, we'll start with you. Uh, Regarding how you started Leaders Up, you describe a letter written to Starbucks CEO, Howard Schultz, explaining the negative economic impact of closing a neighborhood Starbucks. Can you tell us more about that experience and how it became what we know today as Leaders Up?
1: Absolutely, and thank you for having me um, today. So I was actually um, leading programming at the Los Angeles Urban League, uh, which we know is an institution in LA County that fights for economic opportunity and equity for African-Americans and the broader um, indigenous people of color community across South Los Angeles. Um, The CEO and I would walk down Starbucks every day on Crenshaw and Vernon, and one day the Starbucks was just closed. Um, So the CEO of the Urban League wrote a letter to Starbucks as a you know, advocate for inclusive economics and inclusive growth, stating that, you know, as a corporate citizen, you should be more intentional around investing in communities instead of being extracted from an economic perspective, from a workforce development perspective. And we briefed Howard on, you know, what was going on with the LA Urban League in South Los Angeles. Um, Well, to our our, uh, benefit, uh, Howard got the letter um, and invested a lot of money into the Los Angeles Urban League. Um, to really do some transformative work across, you know, our workforce development centers, um, our work at Crenshaw High School and beyond. Um, And about a year later, Starbucks reached out to me and said uh, they'd be interested in launching a youth unemployment initiative. And they had a million dollars to launch that effort. So I went to the meeting. Um, I didn't know it was an interview, actually. Uh, but it was, and I told them, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we have a tremendous amount of talent in our community. Uh, the reality is, is that there's a gap between the opportunities, the preparation to be, uh, for, uh, to be ready for those opportunities, and I think most importantly, the social capital necessary to navigate and manage and st- be a good steward of those opportunities and growth, growth from a wealth perspective. So um, it was from that conversation that we launched Leaders Up, and now we're an anti-racist social, uh, social enterprise focused on Bridging the divide between the untapped potential of BIPOC talent and the next wave of anti-racist employers. And from our perspective, what it means to be an anti-racist employer means that you are actively engaging in dismantling racial disparities across the systemic drivers of the wealth and income inequality gap. What are those? From our perspective, education, education, um, employment and compensation and benefits. When we look at the disparity of just pay parity between our white male counterparts in the African-American community, we're seeing about a 23 cent gap per dollar that a white man makes. So and that would, if we close that gap alone, let us uh, expand the GDP of America by $2.7 trillion. So when we talk about advancing equity, we talk about dismantling structural racism that impedes our economy. Uh, we believe that it's a combination of engaging employers to shift how they prepare, connect and advance talent, and also empowering and equipping talent with their workers' rights, with a um, with a foundation of support and platform for leadership to raise the floor as it relates to worker conditions, the quality of the workplace, quality of pay, et cetera. Um, so that's how we got to this point. It all started with a letter um, to Howard Stokes, discussing um, not closing down the Starbucks on Chris Sean Burden.
0: Thank you so much, Jeffrey. That's incredible and so inspiring to hear about how a letter led to such transformative changes in the community. Uh, Zahira, the next question is for you. Uh, so how is the Slate Z place-based approach to economic opportunity created, and what are some of the goals and outcomes you all developed?
2: Well, thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate the opportunity to discuss the work that We're doing at Slate Z. Um, So in 2014, Slate Z was born out of the South LA community's desire to address economic activity that occurs with new infrastructure. Our geographic area is bounded by transit lines. um, I believe they're now called the K, E and A lines, formerly the Expo, um, Crenshaw and Blue Lines. With the development of the third line, the Crenshaw line, the local community saw an opportunity to focus the economic development such a line would bring. After extensive planning in 2016, the community sought and was awarded a Federal Promise Zone designation, which supports select high poverty communities in rural, tribal, and urban areas, providing enhanced funding opportunities and additional federal resources, such as preference points on grant applications, a federal liaison, and AmeriCorps VISTAs. We're one of 22 Promise Zones throughout the nation, the second in LA County, and one of four in California. At the heart, the mission of Slate z is one that is both targeted and replicable. As a promise zone, it's a place based initiative and it's a collective impact effort focused on revitalizing South LA by moving residents to economic opportunity. We have around 100 partners, and our work focuses and occurs at the intersection of economic revitalization and environmental sustainability with five levers of change. Jobs, so that's moving 10,000 residents into living wage jobs. Education, which we focus on increasing certificate degree, atta- degree attainment and career preparation. Transit, which is increasing the safety, affordability, and use of public transit, really thinking about mobility within and outside of the region. Public safety, which is reducing violent crime through youth development, wellness, reentry services, justice reform, and alternatives to incarceration. And with that group in particular, we have a focus, especially this year on engaging residents and engaging youth by creating councils and committees that are focused on those particular groups. Um, And then small businesses and entrepreneurship, which is investing in businesses, entrepreneurs, and community-oriented infrastructure. But that's just a summary of what we're doing right now. And thank you again for the opportunity to share.
0: Thank you so much for uh, sharing, Zahira. I know Slate Z is is one of LISC's longtime partners, and we're so excited to hear about all of the work that you all continue to do uh, in in the community. Uh, Andrea, so in 2015, uh, the Black Workers Center successfully ensured the most significant minimum wage increase and anti-wage theft policy in the nation, impacting more than 800,000 low-wage workers in Los Angeles. This is a two-part question. Uh, Why is policy engagement important for workforce development organizations? And what approach does the Black Worker Center use to influence workforce development policy?
3: Yes, thank you for having me. And so to start, the Black Worker Center develops organized power and grassroots leadership amongst Black workers to reverse the, the disproportionate levels of unemployment and underemployment In the Los Angeles Black community. And so we have numbers that are saying that 50% of Black workers in LA are unemployed or underemployed. On top of this, last year, or in 2020 rather, 83% of Black workers filed for unemployment. We happen to also be 40% of the homeless population, 7% of the total population in California. And so to change this, experience this circumstance for Black Los Angelinos, we must start with changing workforce development organizations and systems meant to support Black workers. Um, And to do that, we focus on engaging policy that that specifically affects Black workers. So many issues that affect us and our family um, are because of systematic issues that prevent us from having access to high road long-term careers. Therefore, policy engagement is how we address those long-standing discriminatory workforce systems um, and practices that profit off of Black folks, but doesn't benefit them. For example, many issues Black workers are facing are institutionalized. So these are you know, long-standing hiring practices for example, you know, just sitting in your resume, Black workers face so many barriers just to getting their resume viewed at the same capacity or in the same way as, you know, other folks who are navigating a workforce, you know, journey. Um, And so I think about, you know, the Black Workers Center and how we use policy as the vehicle to add to those existing processes um, or establish new systems that make careers in workforce development more accessible uh, for Black workers. And I think a specific way that we have influenced workforce development policy is um, we had a state bill, uh, 218 and 419, um, that we have been carrying for several years um, to lift preemption in the state of California to create more protections for protected classes um, so that they can have more rights in the workplace to navigate uh, discriminatory workplace standards um, and also have a voice in how you know those cases are heard and what steps take place. Um, another example, um, of how we've used policy um, to influence workforce development um, is our Workforce Development Equity Program Ready to Work, um, which is a, a multi week boot camp, um, which was founded on pro Black policy to create opportunities for Black workers. And so our work, like Fight for 15 or SB 218, um, these are really opportunities for us not only to change those existing systems um, to be more of service to black workers in our communities, um, but also to forge relationships with unions or other high road, high road employers uh, to link black workers with careers that provide livable wages, thus affecting their overall well-being and allowing them to stay in South LA.
0: Thank you so much, DeAndrea. Um, I would love to follow up with you on the on getting those statistics. Those are some really staggering facts. And it's so good to hear that an organization like Black Workers Center exists in Los Angeles and I wish it existed in other places too. Um, I think the work that you all are doing is incredible. Uh, Jeffrey, so going back to you, uh, this is, uh, I'll introduce it with some, uh, some background, but then the question will come at the end of this, but the cost of living is increasing rapidly, uh, but wages remain minimally changed or stagnant, uh, as we all know. The overall statistics uh, might point to progress, uh, but as uh, DeAndrea mentioned earlier, uh, this is not the case for the most systemically excluded and oppressed in our communities, especially uh, uh, the Black community here in LA. For example, in Los Angeles County, um, you know, we might hear that the unadjusted unemployment rate fell to 7.1%, uh, down from 7.8%, according to recent figures, but that obviously has not been uh, experienced by everyone, the the falling unemployment rate is not equally distributed across LA, as we all know. Um, For many, uh, including women who are head of their households and uh, people who are transgender, the wage gap is even more stark and fighting for equal pay and quality jobs is even more critical. According to uh, some of the LA Almanac's most recent data, uh, black Angelenos in Los Angeles County have 2.3 times the unemployment rate of Asian Angelenos and 1.9 times the unemployment rate of white Angelenos. So the question for you is, is, how can workforce development organizations like yours help to ensure that resources and funding, like money from the infrastructure bills, does not forget about these disparities? And how does Leaders Up model these best practices?
1: No like question at all. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a lot. Let me know if you need me to repeat any
1: of that. all <laughs> like, the world? No. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important. I mean, and it and it's. <clears throat> excuse me. First of all, I'll say this: I don't think leaders up alone can solve this issue. And you've, has uh, done a great job of, you know, demonstrated to, demonstrating here today the ecosystem that is necessary, um, in order for us to really both at the grassroots level and at the systemic level ensure that you know, infrastructure dollars and dollars that are being um, invested in community for recovery are really hitting the, is really hitting the ground in a way that is transformative. When we look at whether that's the Great Depression, 9/11, Great Recession, you know all of those pieces of moments in our um, history in America activated, levels of recovery and we see time and time again that the level of recovery um, and the intensity of the interventions through funding did not impact African Americans or historically marginalized communities. So we have an opportunity now. I think it's important for us to continue to work with partners like the Black uh, Workers Center to advocate a policy agenda and some type of Monitoring and evaluation framework around once policy is in place, how do we ensure that it's trickling down from the state to the county level and going into programs that are really being innovative, like the programs that Zahira was talking about through Slate Z? You know, a collective impact strategy is important because once those dollars hit, then you also have a unified vision and a set of goals that now are being fueled by those efforts. So I think. You know, our role at Leaders Up is to be that intermediary between grass tops and grassroots and what that really, how that really plays out from our perspective is a couple of things. One, engaging employers to, take, um, to really understand that we're not in a great resignation, we're in a general strike. And what that means is that we need to ensure that we raise the floor as it relates to quality wages, as it relates to visibility of career pathways, utilization of benefits like tuition benefits and wealth creation benefits that really move folks out of just being from uh, able to survive to thriving. Um, Ensuring that the federal dollars and infrastructure uh, resources also help us meet the basic needs of individuals and then ladder them up into the mainstream economy. So those career pathways, of being scaled across high-growth sectors, and more importantly, visibility around what opportunities are available to young adults and the next generation of talent, in order to pursue those opportunities. I think the biggest thing that we face, and I would love to hear to hear uh reaction to this, in our community is an exposure gap. We're not exposed to the uh, the jobs and career pathways in green tech and infrastructure, and that's the new wave. You won't be able to sell a car that uh, with gasoline that runs on gasoline over the next decade. So being able to ensure that our community is leveraging where the funding is going from an infrastructure perspective to get ahead and be around the corner in the future of the economy is the central place. So Leaders Up does a lot of prospecting of employers that represent sectors that one, are um, have are resilient to the economic uh, um, pitfalls of COVID-19, but also um, have a tremendous amount of growth opportunities. So in, in entertainment and the creative arts here in Los Angeles is not going anywhere and it's evolving. Financial services are evolving. FinTech, we're moving into a digital economy. Um, green tech and climate justice jobs, ensuring that where our communities are being staffed and maintained by, uh, and the infrastructure that's being laid is being staffed and maintained by the individuals within those communities. Uh, so I think it's important that we continue to recruit employers that have a high propensity around career pathways um, and making those equitable, who wanna connect their talent acquisition engines into communities locally, um, and who also want to create a place where young people in uh, our community can land and grow, um, and not just have a, a family sustaining $20 an hour job, which was a great start, um, but let's be clear, $800 a week, $3,200 a month pre-tax, is not a lot of money to live on. So how do we continue to push employers and the systems to propel folks up a pathway? Because I think that's essential as we think about mobility from an academic, uh, economic um, and a, a justice perspective.
0: Thanks so much, Jeffrey. Uh, going back to you DeAndrea, De- uh, what are the most significant barriers in getting BIPOC communities prepared for careers in construction, and how does the BWC mitigate those barriers?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the biggest barriers folks are navigating when soliciting work in the construction industry is, um simply the lack of navigation support as they are moving through the hiring solicitation and onboarding processes. Um, As mentioned earlier, because our workforce system is situated on highly discriminatory and racist um, history and practices, It can be almost impossible for our members to simply approach a work site to solicit work. It could be almost impossible for workers, once they are unionized, once they start in their trade, for them to last more than a month because of the the nefarious ways that discrimination shows up on the job in the onboarding process, in conversations with peers, in conversations with HR. And so I think the biggest barrier to preparing, you know, workers to enter into construction is really providing them with tools and understanding of how to best navigate this system that was not created to be of service to black workers or um, create family sustaining jobs or allow black workers to you know, thrive and plan for a future or purchase a home.
0: Excellent, I can't wait to uh, dive into the ready to work framework um, here at LISC. We're just starting to uh, establish or develop our workforce development model and um, looking to experts like you all to help guide the way Um, in that process. Uh, Zahira, the next question is for you. Um, So at Slate Z, you all coordinate an inside-outside approach where you engage impacted community leaders as collaborators with government agencies, corporations, and organizations. How does Slate Z manage stakeholder alignment regarding workforce development in this process? And is there anything else you'd like to add about your approach?
2: Thank you. I I really appreciate that. Um, And you know, what I'll add first um, is what was just kind of discussed by uh, my two colleagues here on really how to build effective systems. I mean, there was a conversation about relationships and access. There's the piece in terms of case management and the cultural competency of support. And our approach in terms of the various partners that we bring together is because you need all sorts of pieces to come together in order to have effective programs. Um, And you need the perspective of all of those different entities in order to create something new. We've done the same thing over and over again. Um, And when you keep getting the same response, which is not achieving your goals, the work that we're doing together helps us do things differently together. It helps us augment um, our different efforts and our different approaches and to be more um, in terms of how how we're uniting in our efforts. Um, So I would say in some ways it is an inside outside approach, but more specifically in terms of the collective um, impact approach, it's an approach that's used internationally to address complex community issues.
0: Thank you so much, uh, DeAndrea, Zahira, and Jeffrey, for joining me in this dynamic conversation. Uh, your insights are essential in understanding how to build capacity for workforce and business development organizations and to improve service delivery to and upward mobility for their communities. Um, I think this was such an interesting conversation, too, just around dismantling structural racism, dismantling those systemic barriers uh, that many times workforce development models or approaches don't incorporate and don't directly uh, integrate into their plans. Each of you play a vital role in achieving uh, economic equity outcomes in this space during and post-COVID-19. I look forward to seeing all of you continue to dismantle structural barriers and uh, increase economic mobility through your groundbreaking work. Thank you so much. I hope you all have a great rest of the day. This episode of Changemakers LA was made possible by our partner, J.P. Morgan Chase. If you would like to learn more about how we support place-based initiatives for housing and economic development at LISC LA, please visit us online at lisc.org slash Los Angeles and follow us on Twitter at Lisk underscore LA. You can find the rest of the series on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Subscribe to hear more conversations about the people and places that shape Los Angeles. This podcast was produced in collaboration with Growing Greatness Now, a consulting firm committed to social and environmental justice.